Um, I am excited for what we're going to talk about today. I want to invite you to open in your Bibles to the book of Hebrews. Do you guys, do you guys love me? Y'all love me, right? Um, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to ask that question after the sermon as well. So we're going to see what your response will be after the sermon, right? Um, Hebrews chapter 5, beginning at verse number 11. Now, I'm going to tell you how God works. Yesterday, I couldn't attend our men's ministry, and normally I do the teaching in the men's ministry. So I asked Pastor Godfrey if he would teach the men's ministry. Now, Pastor Godfrey, by the move of the Spirit, taught the, exact, the same exact passage yesterday that I'm teaching today, and we didn't even know that we were teaching the same thing. So if you were here yesterday, I want you to know we were not comparing notes, but the Spirit of God directed us both to this same passage. And so he taught it on yesterday, and I'm teaching it on today. So thank you, Lord, for just working like that. So Hebrews chapter 5, beginning at verse 11. Concerning him, we have much to say, and it is hard to explain since you have become dull of hearing. For by this time, you ought to be teachers. You have need again for someone to teach you the elementary principles of the oracles of God. You have come to need milk and not solid food. For everyone who partakes only of milk is not accustomed to the word of righteousness, for he is an infant. But solid food is for the mature who, because of practice, have their senses trained to discern good and evil. Oh, y'all already tracking. I, amen. I might as well just... <laughs> Let's pray. Father, I thank you today for... I just thank you for your word. And your word challenges us, all of us. We're, we're all convicted. Uh, even Hebrews says it's living, it's active, and it's sharper than any two-edged sword. And it judges our thoughts and the intentions of our hearts. So we thank you for your word. Sometimes it encourages us. Sometimes it challenges us. Sometimes it corrects us. But we really need all of that to grow. It can't just always tell us what we want to hear. Sometimes it has to tell us what we need to hear. Um, Fathers, I'm just a humble vessel. I pray that you do far beyond what I'm capable to do by your spirit and that your word would not return void. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So what we're doing is we're talking through what we call the DNA of our church. And we're talking through our mission that we talked about a few weeks ago. We're talking about our vision. And we've designated about three sermons just to talk about the vision. Um, many of you have visited or been to Disneyland or Disney World. Uh, the motivation for Walt Disney behind, behind the creation of Disney... <clears throat> was to create a park where 
parents and children could enjoy themselves together. In his mind, he saw a park that would tell a story. And he wanted every guest, every member, every visitor of Disney to be immersed in the magic, the kingdom magic of Disney. Unfortunately, Walt Disney died about five years before Disney opened up. And during the dedication ceremony, someone looked to Walt Disney's wife and said, isn't it a shame that Walt couldn't be here to see it? To what she responded, Walt saw this long before this dedication service. And that's why we're here today. It's the power of vision. That what vision is, it's a picture. It's a picture of a desired or a preferred future. It's a picture that says we're not here, but this is what we see as we move forward. It's, it's vision. And when vision is clear, sometimes you see it in your mind even before it becomes a reality. When vision is clear, it's almost as if it is a re reality even before it comes to fruition. And the power of vision is that vision challenges us. Vision inspires us. Vision directs us towards where we're going. And here at New Life, we, we have a vision of where we want to go, where, where we, what we want to do, what we want to become. That's why in our vision, it always says to become. That means we're not there yet, but it says, but this is what we desire to become. And if you've been with us for years, you've heard us talk about Acts 2, Acts 2, Acts 2, because what Acts 2 represent is a community that's made up of people from every different geographical location, they spoke in different languages, and the Bible says that by the Spirit, He brought unity out of diversity. That every man heard them speak in his own language. And that our vision that we started our church with is to have a, a community of people from different backgrounds and different walks in life that there would be this multi-ethnic, multi-generational group of people who come together to make up our community. And when, you've when you join this church, you joined a vision. You joined a vision. And when you joined this church, you agreed as a member to be a part of this vision and to help this vision become a reality. And what our vision simply says is, we desire to be a diverse community of spiritually mature believers who are committed to seeing lives change with the good news of Jesus Christ. To become, what we talked about last week, a diverse community. But here's the second part of that. A diverse community of what? A diverse community of spiritually mature followers of Jesus Christ. Diverse community, that's who we are. But spiritual maturity is where we want to take you. Can, can I tell you something? We, we want to take you somewhere. That, 
that there's a journey, there's a goal by which we're trying to take you. And where we want to take you is we want to take you towards spiritual maturity. Why? Because you, you didn't get saved. And when we got saved, you didn't get saved just to be a Christian. We didn't get saved just to exist, to carry the status, to carry the name of a Christian. When Jesus saved us, he saved us so that we would become a spiritually mature disciple of Jesus Christ. When Jesus saved us, he saved us so that we could be biblically and spiritually trained so that we can be effective disciples for Jesus, so that we can be effective for the kingdom of God. He saved us that we would be effective disciples for the kingdom. And to be effective disciples require training. And can I tell you something? What the church is designed to be is your training center. That when you join a physical church, that physical church is designed to be your training center to train you to be an effective disciple for Jesus so that whatever Jesus has called you to do, we have properly trained you so that you're able to be effective for what it is he desires for you to do. That's what the church is for, to train you. So when we go to the gym... Right? The gym itself doesn't train you. It's the location where training happens. When you go to the gym, if you want to get results, if you want to, you know, if you want to, if you want to, you know, go to the gym and you want to get results, right? Most of us, when we work out, there is an end game involved. We want to get healthier. We want to get stronger. We want to look good. I always got to make sure y'all are awake, right? <laughs> and let me tell you, when you work out consistently, right, you can measure results. You can measure results, muscle mass, reduction of waistline. You can measure. When you're growing and you're getting physical and you're getting stronger and you're being consistent, people, it's not only measurable, but watch this, it's observable. People be like, they know how to, they know how to butter me up, so like... My wife be like, man, babe, you, you looking, you're losing weight. You looking, what you want? <laughs> she know how to tell me what I want to hear, right? But, but, but it's visible when you are growing. See, when you want to get results, when you want to really be serious about your workout, we do a lot of things. Number one, sometimes we get a personal trainer because you always want to get somebody who know what they're doing, who's a little further, who know how to specialize. And a good personal trainer will put a plan together. Amen. And this plan that they put together, a good plan, will involve several components. Number one is strategic, meaning that when you come to work out, we put this plan together. Today we're going to work legs. Today we're going to work abs. Today we're going to work arms. And so it's very strategic, the workout plan. The workout plan is not only strategic, but watch this. The workout plan is also designed to stretch you. It's not going to always be comfortable. That's why I don't do a trainer, because I don't want nobody yelling at me. So I train myself, because when I'm tired, I'm done. I got a little video I'm doing, right? And it'd be like one hour, and I'm like 30 minutes, like, I'm done. 
but it's designed to stretch you. A, a good training plan not only will stretch you, but a good training plan also understands that we're all at different seasons in life. So I have to customize my plan because I understand where you are is different than where you are. And so where we're trying to go, I got to meet you where you are. But here's the fourth thing. A good plan always involves personal sacrifice. The, the gym is not going to do it for you. The trainer can't do it for you. If you really want to get results, you got to put in the work. You got to put in the grind. And the Bible says, so it is with our spiritual life. If you want to grow spiritually, we got to have a plan in place. We got to have process. We got to know where we're going to take you. There got to be measurements that says we were here. Now we're here. And now we're here. Listen to this. And not only is it measurable, but it's observable. That people should be able to hear in your prayer life growth. People should be able to hear in your testimony growth. People should be able to hear in your conversation growth. People should be able to see growth in your life. And that's why Paul says that we have to train for the purpose of godliness. Now one of the things I'm excited about and we're going to talk about this next week because you know if our if our vision statement it says to become a diverse community of spiritually mature believers, then that means we need to have a plan for how we do that. See, earlier in the year, we had this get fit and, you know, sermon, and we gave everybody a book to read, and we did a sermon, but the one thing we didn't have was a plan. It, you can have the book, and you can have a sermon, but if you don't have a plan that takes you where you are, a plan that we can track your progress, a plan that says this is where we're going, but then a plan that also involves your personal sacrifice to the process. A book and a sermon is great, but a book and a sermon by itself is not going to take you to where God wants you to be. And I want to tell you something. We're going to talk about this next year. I, I am so excited about a plan, and, but I'm like, Lord, it took us 19 years to do it. <laughs> But we've been working and we've been tweaking and we've been revising and we have a plan unlike what we've ever, what we've ever had before at our church. And so that if anybody in our church says, I want to grow spiritually, I have a clear plan that will take you where you are and will take you to where God wants you to be. And it will meet you where you are, it will grow you and it will stretch you and you got to come back next week in order to get it. <laughs> That's good marketing one-on-one, right? And it does not cost $19.99 either. So this week what I want to do is I want to say two things about spiritual maturity. And then next week I'm going to give you three and four. And then we're going to give you the process. Okay. Number one, spiritual maturity or Christ-likeness is the goal of spiritual growth. Spiritual maturity or Christ-likeness is the goal of spiritual growth. Let me show you what I mean. Hebrews chapter 5, notice what he says in verse 11. Concerning him, we have much to say, and it's hard to explain since you become dull of hearing. To become dull of hearing means you've gotten stagnant. 
or it means that you're no longer able to process what I am trying to teach you. In other words, he says in verse 10, I want to teach you about Melchizedek. He says, but I can't do it because where you are spiritually, you're no longer able to process, listen to this, that level of teaching. Why are you not able to process that level of teaching? Because that level of teaching, verse 14, is solid food. And solid food is for the mature. He says, but what's happening is you have still been living your life spiritually on milk. Because he says in verse 13, everyone who partakes only of milk is not accustomed to the word of righteousness. So he uses this phrase to the church. He says, solid food is for the mature. In other words, maturity is the goal of spiritual growth. That as we are growing, we are growing to a place where we reach the level of spiritual maturity. And we're going to talk about that in a moment. But what this means is we have an end game for where we're trying to go. Where I am trying to take every one of you is to a place where we can say that you are spiritually mature and we're going to be able to define what spiritual maturity even looks like. So, for example, in Ephesians chapter 4, write that down and you can read it later. Verse 13, he says, until we all attain, listen to this, the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, listen to this, to a mature man. What is a mature man? A mature man is to be measured according to the stature which belongs here we go, to the fullness of Jesus Christ. What is maturity? Maturity is always compared to the life of Christ. How do I know that I'm growing? The way I know that I'm growing is because I'm becoming more Christ-like. That's why I use the phrase Christ-likeness. How do I know I'm growing? It's because every day I'm becoming more like Christ. Christ is my model. Christ is my example. Christ is the measurement by which I compare how I am growing spiritually. So that's why the question we're always asking ourselves is, am I becoming more like Christ? Am I thinking more like Christ? Do I respond more like Christ? Is what's important to Christ important to me? Is my life a reflection of Christ? Now, why is Christ the example? That, that's a question we probably don't think about because we always talk about we need to be like Christ. We need to be like Christ. Why is Christ the example of what it is. Why not try to be like the Holy Spirit? Why not try to be like God? I mean, all of that's important and there's a role, but why do we always say Christ is our example of what it means to be mature? Are you all ready for a little theology with your grits and eggs this morning? Okay, watch this. So all the way back in Genesis, the Bible says that God created Adam in his image and his likeness likeness image right Christ God created Adam in his image why did God create Adam in his image God created Adam in his image so that Adam would reflect the image of God in society what God wanted Adam to be able to do is to reflect his image 
his likeness, his character in society so that as Adam lived his life, people would get a reflection of what God looks like as he's being lived out in the life of Adam. That's why when we have children, that's why God says be fruitful and multiply. To be fruitful and multiply does not just mean to produce children, but in God's divine plan, it was to reproduce images of God so that we produce images of God in society. The problem is when Adam sinned, the image of God was distorted so that people now got a flawed view of the image of God as it was being lived out in the life of Adam. In other words, you cannot live fully, appropriately, properly live out the image of God through the, through the, through the lens of flawed humanity. And that's why people can still get, do good God-like things because they still possess the image of God. But the same person who can do good things can also do wicked things because even though they got the image of God, it's distorted by sin. And sinfulness is still coexisting with the image of God. When God sent Jesus, <laughs> he sent Jesus who was designed to be perfect humanity but also represent the perfect image of God. So that now when Jesus walked on earth, what people saw was a perfect image of God being lived out in human flesh. And that's why when they asked Jesus, show us the Father, Jesus says, have I not been with you all of this time and you've not seen the Father? If you've seen me, you've seen the Father because everything I do is a reflection of the Father. And so Jesus says, my priority is like the Father. What I do is like the Father. So everything I do is like the Father. So now that when I give my life to Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit comes in me to begin to transform and renew that image that's within me that was restored by sin so that as I live my life, the Holy Spirit wants to renew the image. As I follow Christ, I begin to live the life that God originally created Adam to live, but Adam blew it. But the second Adam came along, Jesus Christ. So now that as I'm living my life, I am now living my life in a way that pleases God because it models the life of Jesus Christ who was sent by God to be his example. And so the real issue is when we're not growing spiritually, we are defaulting back to Adam when God has saved us to live like Jesus. Why do you want to be a caterpillar when God saved you to be a butterfly? And that's what it means to grow spiritually. And he says that Christ is the example. And so every day, watch this, we're trying to be less like Adam and more like Christ because Christ reflects the life of God that should be lived out in human flesh. Now, here's the problem. You don't just jump from Adam to Jesus. He saves you so that he has delivered you from Adam, but now I have to go through a process of reflecting more of Jesus in my life than Adam. That's why the second part of spiritual growth is this, and this is so important, that spiritual maturity or Christ-likeness, listen to this, is developed progressively through stages. Progressively means, you know what, we start out here, and I, and I want to be honest, that sometimes progressively means I'm taking steps. 
Progressively means I'm a little further along today than I was yesterday. Progressively means sometimes I may take a step back, but I don't want to stay back. I want to keep moving forward, right? That's why it's progressive. But then progressively also means I have to go through different stages. You don't jump from being a babe to being an adult overnight. You don't go from preschool to college overnight. It is a process that takes time, right? And so that's why the Bible always compares the spiritual life to the biological process of growth so that when a person is conceived, they give birth, that birth becomes an infant, becomes a child, becomes a young adult, and that um, person becomes a mature adult. So the Bible says, so it is with the spiritual life. By the way, Brother AJ did this for me like at the last minute. So, woohoo, Brother AJ. And so the Bible says, when you get saved, the Bible says you become born again. John 3, that's the new birth. The new birth means now that you're born of the Spirit. It means that now newness has taken place within your life, and we call that newness regeneration. The Bible says you are born again, that spiritual birth. Once you're born again, the Bible refers to you as a babe or as an infant. 1 John chapter 2 says that you also go to becoming a child and then a young adult and then to a spiritually mature adult. Now, why is this important? It's important because it helps everybody begin to assess where am I on the spiritual journey? Because at every category, there are characteristics that go with those categories. At every category, just like when I work out, it's measurable, it's clear, it's obvious where I am. At every category, we should be able to say, based on these descriptions, this is where you are in your spiritual life. Why is that important? Because for so many of us, it's, 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 it's vague and it's hazy. We've been saved a long time, but we have no way of being able to chart our progress. And so what happens is sometimes there are expectations that we put on a babe that really are the expectations that we put on an adult. Or there are expectations that we have on an adult where they should be, but the reality is they're still at the level of a babe. When my children were born, as a matter of fact, even when they were still in mama's womb, I would always look at the chart, because that's kind of how I am, and I would begin to say, okay, 12 weeks, this is where they are. 16 weeks. Okay, by this time, this is what's developed because I'm able to chart their progress. Even after they were born, the pediatrician would always give us chart. At six months, this is where they should be. At, at 18 months, this is where they should be. Why is that important? Because not only I'm, a, I'm able to chart, I'm also able to identify when something is wrong. If you're at two years and you're still here, my antenna should go up. This, this something's not right. Because everybody understands by this time, something should happen. Now, look at what Hebrew writer, Hebrew writer said. Y'all still love me, right? Yes. Notice what the Hebrew writer says. Verse number 12, for by this time, you ought to be. And what he does is he gives us the two extremes of spiritual growth. Number one, he says, 
Here are the characteristics of an infant. He says, an infant, you're still on milk, right? An infant, you're not able to process solid food, right? That's a characteristic. The characteristic of an infant is that you are still on milk. Characteristic of an infant is that you're not able to process solid food. Now, notice what he says about the mature. Verse 14, a mature believer is able to process solid food. A mature believer, because of having their practice trained, they can discern good from evil. Verse number 12, a mature believer is able not only to teach themselves, but they're also able to teach others. You know what he said? In other words, he said, this isn't a guessing game. He says, if you are a babe, this is what we see. You're still on milk, right? You're still needing someone to teach you. If you're a mature believer, this is where you should be. Now, here's the issue with this. When a baby is a baby, there's a certain understanding that I have of where that baby is. I understand that baby needs me to feed him. I understand that baby needs me to clean him. I understand that that baby has not learned to be able to go to the bathroom. Now, there is a time where we like, look, that was cute at six months. I need you to get in there and get potty trained. That ain't cute anymore. But I do understand that there is a season in which that's my responsibility to do that for you. You know, and, and, and it's okay when you're a baby, but if you're 30, and I'm still having to feed you, and I'm still having to clean you up behind you, Somebody ought to say something ain't right here. Right? Because something ain't right here. Because watch this. By this time. Can I tell you something? Y'all ready? Some of y'all are new Christians. And as a new Christian, we should be feeding you based on where you are. There is an expectation of some things that we're doing to bring you along. But some of y'all ain't new Christians. <laughs> some of y'all have been saved a long time. Y'all still love me, right? Some of, I'll put it this way. Some of us have been saved a long time. And we still have baby-like characteristics. And it was cute when you were newly saved. It ain't cute anymore. And he says there is an expectation that by this time, you not only ought to be able to feed yourself, but you ought to be available to feed somebody else. It's great. It's great that you are, you are faithfully attending everybody's Bible class. At some point, it's time for you to get out of attending somebody's Bible class, and it's time for you to start teaching a Bible class so that somebody less, not as far along as you can sit in your Bible class. So I have people all the time, they be coming like, you know, pastor, you know, pastor, you know, he ain't getting deep. I ain't being fed. That's a big thing you hear, I ain't being fed. So let me tell you a couple things. Number one, <laughs> yeah, I'm going to get my point out now. I heard from everybody. It's my turn. 
in the name of Jesus. Isn't that how we do? We get you told and then got put Jesus like it. That made it better, right? So I want you to know, here's my challenge. On a Sunday morning, I have people in our church that may come here. They're not even saved. I have people who are babes in Christ. I have people who are children. I have people who are spiritual adults. Every Sunday, I got to try to find the sweet spot. I mean, I can get deep. But what good is it to get deep if it's flying over everybody's head? So I got to try to break it down here. But then I got to try to challenge you here. So I got to try to find that sweet spot. The plan that we're going to create says, I recognize everybody is here. On Sunday, we're going to contribute to your growth because we're going to always have something to kind of tie into your growth. But we're going to have a plan that takes you from where you are to where God wants you to be that happens outside of Sunday. That's number one. But number two, if you're only dependent on me feeding you, maybe, just maybe, that's an indication that you're not able to feed yourself. Because whatever I teach you one Sunday a week is not going to be enough anyway. And unless you're able to know how to go home and feed yourself, you're going to always be spiritually malnutrition because you're not even getting enough word in you to create spiritual maturity. Spiritual maturity says I can't be spiritually mature if I'm only dependent on a five-minute devotion that pop up in my phone every day to give me a little spiritual jolt as I get through my day. I got to sit down and I got to have a balanced meal to mature me spiritually. right and that's why he says here he says guys we want to teach you some deep some deeper things I can't isn't he right I can't do it I can't do it because he says you're you you're still not only are you still on milk but you're satisfied being on milk Because milk has already been processed for you. Wow. See, it takes work to have to chew. <laughs> and it takes a system that's mature enough to, dig to digest that which I have chewed. But it's much easier if someone has done it for me. And this is what he says. He says, everywhere you go, every category, and this is what he says. He says, this is what it means to be mature. Now, let me tell you this, guys, and I want you to hear this. My job as your trainer is not to just come. See, a trainer's job is not just to tell you, um, yeah, um, you know, you're unhealthy. I know that. But a good trainer says, but how do I work with you to get you to a place of being healthy? So I want you to know this. I'm not coming here today just saying, you know what? Y'all are babes and you've been saved a long time and this is where you should be. Shame on you. My job as your pastor is to be able to say, guys, everybody should be thinking on this chart and assessing where you are. And if you walk with me, my job as your trainer is to have a plan in place to where I take you to where God wants you to be. See, it's not just standing up here preaching but it's helping you to ask the question, where am I? And to say, Pastor, I want to go to that next level. 
Let me tell you why this is so important for me. Because a lot of what I see in life, especially among us as believers, we're not properly equipped to deal with the things that Satan is throwing at us. And can I tell you something? Satan does not take it easy on you just because you're not prepared. Satan says, oh, I got me one here. And so don't you know life comes at you, circumstances comes at you, trials come at you, the flesh is warring against you, spiritual warfare is warring against you. And the more I put mature you, the more you are equipped to handle everything that life comes your way. And so it's not just to teach you the Bible, but it's to teach you how to use the Bible. That's why it says training. So Jesus did not just know the word, but Jesus was able to use the word in the right. It is written. He knew how to use the word. Job knew that in situations he was in, Job, because he had the right perspective, hey, the Lord gives, the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. It's all in the sovereign hand of God. In other words, as you are growing, Jesus says here, it's not my will, God, your will be done. Can I tell you, why is this so important? Because as you grow, I've equipped you to be prepared for things life and the enemy throw your way. And if you're not prepared, then we have to come back and we have to fix you up. But if we don't train you, you're going to come back to where we started because you were not prepared. And so spiritual maturity, right, is going through a process. And what I want you to know is we've developed that process. And it's going to involve the work of the spirit, the work of the scripture, the role of other saints in your life. And what spiritual maturity is, is watch this, is can you produce Christ-likeness in your own life? And can you reproduce Christ-likeness in the life of somebody else? See, this is what Christ did. Christ was not only able, right, to, to live out the will of God in his life, but he was also able to train others how to do that in their life. Okay, here's the last thing. The end game here is that we not only want to train you to be able to, on your own, Live out the character of God in your life, but that you're also able to walk somebody else through it. That, that's where we want to take you. Um, so we got this big thing on Twitter. So I'm, on, I'm a big Twitter guy. So a lot of what I do, I do on Twitter. That's, that's my social media vehicle. So this new thing that everybody is talking about on tw Twitter now, on a blue check. If you're on Twitter, you know what I mean. Everybody wants a blue check mark. So... On Twitter, what happens is if you got a number of followers or you've reached a certain status, Twitter will affirm who you are and they will give you, they will assign you a blue check. And a blue check indicates you are somebody. You got a lot of followers. You got a lot of influence. And we don't want somebody else to replicate your account, right? Your account is unique to you. And so when you have a certain follower, you at a certain place, Twitter will give you a blue check because they've approved this is who you are and people can't create a fake account of who you are and they masquerade themselves as you when they're not really you. When we become a Christian and we live our life for Jesus Christ, God will look down upon a life that truly reflects the life of Jesus Christ and he will put a divine check mark by you because he says we got a lot of people who name the name of Jesus, who act like they Jesus, who are trying to masquerade themselves as Jesus, but they ain't really a true follower of Jesus Christ. 
When God looks at your life and it looks so much like Jesus, heaven will look down and he will say, check mark, because this person looks just like my son. Now watch this. Elon Musk has come and he wants to charge a subscription for a blue check mark just to show this is who you are. God says the check mark has already been paid by the blood of Jesus Christ. You don't have to pay for a check mark because Jesus has paid your check mark on the cross. All you got to do is live out the check mark that has already been paid on your behalf. When we're walking with Jesus, God affirms it and the world will see it. And everybody will know this is a life that gives honor and glory to God. We're taking you somewhere. We're taking you somewhere. And so as we pray, um, I really want you to just think about this. And I want you to come before the Lord, especially, you know, I realize in the church people have been saved a long time. Some people are new to the faith. And all I ask of you, if you would make, if you would have a desire to say, I want to grow, I want to be an effective disciple for Jesus. The challenge with church is sometimes when you're in church a long time, you just get stagnant from doing the same thing over and over and over again. But when you're walking with Jesus and you're growing with Jesus and you're involved in other people's lives and helping them become like Jesus, it's different than just what we do on Sunday. Because we're growing and we're discipling and we're being discipled and we're discipling other people. I got a plan that God really has given to me that's clear for where we're taking our church. To be spiritually mature followers of Jesus Christ biblically and spiritually equipped, trained disciples who are effective for Jesus in the work of the kingdom. And today, what I'm going to ask is I want, I want all heads bowed and all eyes closed. I'm going to close my eyes. If you're watching via stream, I want you to join us. And the first thing that God just always asks of us is do we have a heart that desires that desires everything starts with a heart that desires I want to build my case for why this is important I don't want to just give a plan I want to say the plan ties to a vision and the plan is designed to help us accomplish not only our church's vision but God's spiritual vision for our lives but I want to know do I have some people here who have a desire to want to grow, to becoming like Christ, and to living out Christ-likeness, and to be equipped to help others to grow where they are to where God wants them to be? But do you have a desire for that? And today, if you have a desire you know, and this is, that's why everybody's eyes are closed because this is really between you and God. I don't even want to know who's where. I just want you to stand right now that, that you can surrender yourself to God and you can say, God, here's my heart. Here's my desire.
My role and my job is to equip you so that where you are when you start it is not where you're going to stay. It's to equip you that if somebody wants to ask you, how do I become a Christian? You can go through some verses and you can lead them and you can pray with them. If you get some people who may object to what we believe, you're equipped to be able to respond accurately and biblically. That if you're in a setting and someone asks you if you would open in prayer, we've, we've prepared you and we've trained you. And it's not that it's all on the preparation. It's your heart. But even they ask Jesus, Lord, teach us how to pray. And Jesus said, when you pray, pray like this. For those who say, you know what, I want to one day be able to teach a Sunday school class or a small group. We can train you to be able to do that. But today, all we ask is that there is a desire in a heart to say, but that's where I want to go. If you give me the desire and you sacrifice some time, our church is committed to helping you get to that place. And it's not just talking, it's not just theory, but we're working on a plan. plan that just has me so excited that I'm bursting at the seams because I see it. I see it. So Father God, whoever may be standing, may not be standing, wherever they are, meet them where they are. Reveal to them clearly where they are. And it's not me. It's not me condemning. It's just you saying You ought to know where you are because you ought to know where's the next stage of your growth and what's required of you in that next stage of growth and how I can use you as you continue to grow. Father, it's a process. It's a journey. Requires some sacrifice. Requires a little work. Requires a little thinking. Requires us to be challenged. But man, Lord, the reward is so much worth it so much worth it our prayer life will be changed our Bible study will be changed our ability to know our mission and our purpose to live like Christ wherever he has us we have a purpose for why I go to work I have a purpose for what I do in my neighborhood I have an opportunity to help that one person come to know Jesus and to know that heaven rejoices over one lost soul and God either used me to water or God used me to plant but I was a part of this person's journey in coming to faith in Jesus Christ and now heaven is rejoicing merely because I became available and I allowed myself to be used by you that's an awesome experience and that I'll be able to stand before you and hear that Well done, my good and faithful servant. That you served me well. You served me well. And so, Father, today, if there's someone here who just do not know you, I pray today that their prayer would just be, Lord Jesus, I pray to you that because of my sin, I realize that you're the one, Jesus, who died for my sin, rose again on the third day, that I might have new life and that today I trust you as my Lord and my Savior. There's some today, Lord, that I pray 
that they say, Lord, I want to be a more faithful, a more equipped disciple for you that I can make a difference for you for the name of the kingdom. And that wherever we are, Lord, we're moving further in our walk. May we not just be mature individuals, but may we be a mature church reflective of a collection of mature individuals. And that we are seeing new believers come, new believers growing, new believers maturing, new believers getting saved, new believers growing, new believers maturing, new believers getting saved, new believers growing. And may that just be an ongoing cycle of our church. So, Lord, we thank you, and we ask you this in Jesus' name. Together, let us all say amen. If we 